Today we're finishing up a series in 2 Peter, and we've been talking about truth worth living. And of course, all truth is worth living, but not everything that's called truth really is truth. And so how do we know what is true? That's the title of today's message. How do we know the truth? If you think about this, when, when you see small children kind of growing up, there's a phase that they go through in life that they just believe anything that their mother and father tells them, right? Uh, they think that Kentucky's going to win football. and just I mean, anything that you tell them, they just bite it hook, line, and sinker. And then as they grow a little bit, I was just saying if y'all were listening, a couple of you were, uh, then as they grow a little bit, they start to ask questions. And, and they want to know, when you tell them something, they'll say, why? Why? I don't know if y'all been through that phase with your kids where they start asking you, you why? And then it seems like it progresses to you tell them to do something and then they say, why? Why do I have to do that? And then for a while you can get away with because I told you so, but then eventually they grow out of that too. There's these phases they go through as they begin to actually think critically about, well, how do we know something? It's a very healthy thing, even though it can be really annoying as a parent. It's a very healthy thing for them to begin to ask questions and think about how do we know things. And so Peter is talking about the return of Christ. And basically answers this question, how do we know that Jesus really is going to return? And Peter's answer is that he says, I know that he's going to return in glory and power because I've already seen him in his glory and in his power on the mountain of transfiguration. And then he's going to say, and if that is not enough, We've got the Old Testament prophecies. And when you begin to look at the prophecies and see how Jesus fulfilled them, there's no other logical explanation other than that he must be the Son of God that he claims to be. And then Peter reminds us that all prophecy was given by the Holy Spirit. And so how do we know that Jesus really is the Son of God? We know because of the eyewitness testimony of the apostles who've seen him. And we'll talk a little bit more today about why we can trust their eyewitness account. And we know because the prophecies of the Old Testament. And we know because the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of Scripture that teaches about who the Christ is was going to be, where he was going to be born, what he was going to do. And we see that Jesus' life lines up with all of that exactly as it was predicted in Scripture. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21 is where we're going to be at. Uh, because, as Peter reminds us, the Scripture is inspired by the Spirit. Would you stand with me out of honor and reverence for it if we read it together? 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 16, here's what the Bible says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand this word that was written as men were carried along by your spirit. And I pray today that we would come to believe with all of our heart in every message that you have for us from Genesis to Revelation. And Father, may we conform our lives to live out this truth every day. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Peter points out something to us. Now, now we begin to think about this for a moment. The, the church has been around for a couple of centuries now. And so we, we look back at a long history of people that have gone before us. And uh, we think about great preachers of the Great Awakening and, and the, the Reformation and, and, and on and on. We think about this long heritage. But Peter, remember, stands at the opening of the early church. Peter is one of the very first apostles. He's one of the twelve that go out and begin to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ and the church is being established for the first time. I think it's very encouraging to see that not everyone blindly believed what Peter said and what Paul said. Remember, Paul commended the, the people at Berea because he said that they searched the Scriptures every day to figure out if what he was saying was true. They were trying to decide, is this really true? And so Peter has come to them with this message about who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do. And so he says to them, he says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about myths, uh, the world has seen so many stories being passed on and passed on and passed on as True. I don't know if you've heard about the uh, movie that's coming out with uh, Jesus is going to be portrayed as a homosexual and his disciples are going to be portrayed as a homosexual. And uh, there's, there's a petition going around. So I don't, I, just, just a poll. Has anybody seen this or heard about this? No, well, I'm really, I'm really, you guys are not Facebookers then because it's all over Facebook. I'm telling you, it's, it's been going for a, a good long while. In fact, this uh, petition has actually been going since 1984. If you go to that, that website, Snopes, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Snopes or Snoops, I don't know. But anyway, those people that track down all stuff on the Internet, hoaxes and things, you can go there and you can read the entire history. I don't know who has time to research this stuff, but, I mean, they've researched names and people and places of this entire history of this myth that's been going on since 1984. Millions of people have written letters and signed petitions in multiple states, including uh, several thousands of letters that were sent to the Attorney General in Alabama and then other states as the information was passed there. And then now there's online petitions going around. Millions of people have signed this petition to try to stop this movie that, that never was being made. It's just a myth. And yet when, you, when we hear it, it sounds pretty believable, doesn't it? 
I mean, when I asked you just a moment ago, has anybody heard about this movie coming about, about Jesus being portrayed as a homosexual? Uh, I mean, that, that wouldn't shock me at all. I would think, you know, well, probably Disney or somebody's producing that, ABC. I don't know, that sounds, sounds about right to me, you know. Uh, I've been to different secular schools, going to one now. I know what they think and what's going on out there. I mean, it sounds very believable, but, but the fact is it's, the movie's never been made. It's never been in production. It's never been in planning. And yet since 1984 to the present day, people have been responding to radio broadcasts and uh, emails and letters, and they've been responding by signing online petitions to try to stop this movie that never was being made in the first place. And that's how myths often work. Now, I don't know who it is, but, but somewhere there's some guy or some gal or both, I don't know, that they're sitting and they're laughing about all these millions of people that are stirred up about this story that they started. Because somebody has to start it, right? They, they don't start themselves. Rumors don't start themselves. Myths don't start themselves. Somebody has to start it. Somewhere along the way, somebody thinks up something, and then they begin to communicate it as though it's true. And, and if it has a little ring of truth to it, other people pass it along, and the story goes on and on and on. And this is how myths begin and how myths are passed on from one person to another. So Peter says, a myth made up by some person. He says, a cleverly devised myth. He says, a myth is not how we know about Jesus. He says, I know about Jesus because I saw firsthand. He was an eyewitness. I heard someone say one time that a man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with an opinion. That's true, isn't it? We can think whatever we want to about something, but the person that's actually saw it and actually experienced it actually knows what's going on. A few years ago, there was a very controversial case that took place in America and uh, I don't, I'm not even going to mention the name because I don't want to get you sidetracked because probably even here today we wouldn't all agree on how that turned out. But all these witnesses came coming forward. And as these witnesses conflicted one with another and were, were pressured, finally most of the witnesses had to admit that they weren't witnesses at all. They were just repeating things that somebody else had, had told them. You see, when somebody actually witnesses something, they, they actually know what took place. And so Peter said that he witnessed the glory of Christ. The Bible tells us about this in Matthew 17. It's the passage where uh, Matthew describes to us the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples, and among those 12, there was an inner three, Peter, James, and John. And at one point, Jesus took them up on a high mountain, uh, most people believe today that it's Mount Tabor. And so on this high mountain, Jesus went up, and before their eyes, he transfigured, and they saw his glory. Peter was one of those three, Peter, James, and John, the Peter that wrote this letter. He saw that, and that's what he's referencing. He's referencing this experience when he saw Jesus in his glory. And so people ask these questions. They say, well, how do we really know that Jesus is going to come back in his glory? And Peter says, I've already seen it. I, I know firsthand. I'm not telling you this because of a myth. It's not a rumor that I passed along. I've seen it and experienced it. The Bible says here 
And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. Now listen to this. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it seems it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. There's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't really answer. Uh, if you're a curious person at all, the Bible will just create a million questions for you. I've always wondered, how did Peter know this was Moses and Elijah? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, they died hundreds of years before Peter's time. How did he know? I don't think they probably identified themselves, but maybe it's something they said. Maybe he just recognized them. I mean, when we get to heaven, will we just recognize people and know? I don't know. I hope you weren't hoping to get an answer to that question. I have no idea. I was just, I was just throwing it out there because I wonder. So he recognizes them, and he knows. In verse uh, 4, uh, James and John are there, and, and they're just sitting in awe, Peter, you know, Speak first, think later. He says, Lord, it seems to me like a good idea. Let's just build some tents right here. And so verse 5, he says, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. By the way, that's the second time that they had heard that. The first time was at the baptism of Jesus. And if you look at the Scripture and you compare those accounts... The words are verbatim, exactly the same. At the baptism, God spoke from heaven. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, God spoke from heaven. And he said exactly the same thing. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Exactly the same thing. And so Peter, he hears the voice and he sees Moses and Elijah and he sees Jesus transformed into his glory. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. I don't know what the voice sounded like, but apparently it was an awesome sound because they fell on their faces and they were terrified. Verse 7, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Well, Jesus, by the time that Peter writes this letter, has been raised from the dead. And so now Peter can share about his experience. And so we read about it in the other Gospels. We read about it here as Peter describes this. He was there. He saw Jesus in his glory. Well, you may be thinking, you know, Pastor, that just doesn't prove anything. Uh, many people have claimed to see all kinds of things. Well, see, the difference about the testimony of Peter and the personal testimony of many other people is that Peter and James and John and, and all the other disciples, they went to their death proclaiming the same story and the same experience. You see, there are many people today that are willing to die for Allah. Because they have been taught something in Islam. And they believe it to be true. But the difference between their willingness 
to go to their death over something they believe to be true. And Peter's willingness and John's willingness. And Jack, the, the difference is that somewhere along the way, someone made up a cleverly devised myth and they heard it and they believe it to be true. But Peter, Peter, James, John, and the others, they are the source. They saw themselves. If these 12 disciples had gotten together and concocted a story, I guarantee you somebody would have broke before the end. Nobody is willing to be crucified and tortured to keep up a hoax and a lie. People will die for something that's untrue if they believe it to be true. But nobody's willing to die for something that they know to be a lie. And so Peter says, when we came to you and we told you about the coming of Jesus Christ, we did not come to you with cleverly devised myths. But he came as an eyewitness who had seen the glory of Christ and knew firsthand about the glory of Christ. Well, you and I may not have been eyewitnesses of the transfiguration, and we may not be eyewitnesses of the resurrection, but if God has changed your life, you too have a story to tell and a testimony to give. And I have seen God work in so many different ways in the lives of so many different people. Uh, there is not a doubt in my mind about the reality of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. I know for certain that He is alive and He is well because I see Him doing things that are absolutely unexplainable in any other way. I've seen so many miracles in my life. And I hope that you've seen things in your life that are completely unexplainable apart from the work of God. And when you have experienced it, you have a story to tell story to tell. I remember uh, several years ago, and I know I've told you all this story, but uh, it, it was, there's watershed moments in your life that you just always hold on to and you can't ever get past. And one time we were at a church in Tennessee that I'd started, and we were experiencing tremendous conflict. And so I asked a friend of mine who was a, a preacher up in the mountains if he would come and he would preach for me. And I on a Sunday night, I said, Dave, you know, I said, so we're dealing with all this. And I said, uh, uh, I'm not really able to preach again, and, and nobody's happy with me. They don't want to hear me preach again anyway. Why don't you come and preach for me tonight? And I didn't tell him anything. I didn't tell him anything that was going on. I didn't tell him anything I was dealing with. I didn't tell him anything. I just said, we're having some conflict. Would you come and preach for me? And, and that young man came that night, and a powerful story. He had, he had been, been saved uh, after going out on the road. He was a, uh, he was a roadie. He went to, to Full Sail in Florida where they teach you to do uh, all this audio technical work. And he went out touring on country music and he was running the sound for all these concerts. And while he was out there, he got into drugs and partying. And man, he was just having a great time and living in the world. That's his description. And, and God saved him out of that and called him to preach. And he went to this little church up in the mountains preaching there. And he came to my church. They didn't have Sunday night service. So he came to my church and he preached. And and he did, he did everything that night but name names. It was, it was unbelievable. He described to a T everything that was going on in our congregation. And because he didn't have any idea what was going on in our congregation, he was just so lighthearted about it. And it just came across so well. And in fact, 
he, he was so specific that at the end of the sermon, I knew if I didn't do something, it was just going to cause more conflict. And so they, I thought, man, these people think that I brought somebody in here just to, to take my side and, and fuss at them. So at the end of the sermon, I just got up and said, Dave, I need you to help me just a second. I said, would you tell the folks what I told you about our church? And he said, he didn't know what was going on. It was really awkward. He said, uh, I don't, you, did, you didn't tell me anything. I said, well, what did I ask you to do? And he said, I, I, I said, you asked me to come preach tonight. And I said, did I tell you anything about what's going on in our church? And he said, no, you didn't tell me anything. I said, well, you know. Because he described it to a T. That's just God working through a, through a preacher. It's just amazing to, to see God do that. There were times that we were in church planning. We had great financial need, and we didn't know uh, how we were going to pay bills. And there was times when we were building this church, and I had guys on the site working, and, and I didn't know how I was going to pay them on Friday. But we always did. And we would go to, we had a post office box, and we would go to the post office box sometimes and there would just be checks there. We hadn't asked anybody for money. We didn't tell anybody what we needed. But there would be a check for exactly what we needed. Well, I've seen people that I thought would have never, ever been willing to even consider attending church, turn their life around, and just be a servant for the Lord. And I, I've just seen miracle after miracle after miracle about God doing things that are completely unexplainable other than His involvement. And you see, when you've experienced the work of God in your life, you too have a story to tell. You may not be an eyewitness of the transfiguration, but you can be an eyewitness of the movement and work of God. And so how do we know? Because we've experienced him. Because we've seen him. And we know that Jesus is the Son of God also because of the prophecies. Listen to what Peter reminds us of in verse 19. He says, and we have something more sure. Listen to what he says. The prophetic word. Of course, Peter is talking about the Old Testament and the Old Testament passages that point forward to Jesus Christ. And he says, the prophetic word, which you will do well to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place. Well, the ability of God to look into the future, know what's going to happen hundreds of years in advance, and then reveal it. That is supernatural power. None of us have that ability. And when you look at the prophecies of the Old Testament and see how all of them line up with Jesus and how he fulfilled each and every one of them, there's no other explanation other than that he is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. He is the Son of God. Sometimes skeptics will say, well, Jesus knew the Old Testament prophecies and then he orchestrated his life to fit those. Well, it's kind of hard to orchestrate your birth. And the Bible says about when he would be born and how he would be born. In the 1950s, there was a mathematician from a university in California that took some of the Old Testament prophecies. In fact, he took eight. And he calculated the probability, just, just the mathematical, statistical probability of an individual simply meeting the criteria of eight of those prophecies. And, and here's what he came up with. He said the probability that Jesus of Nazareth could have fulfilled even eight of such prophecies would only be one in 10 to the 17th power. That, that probably means nothing to you because it means nothing to me. I'm not a mathematician. 
So I'm not so so he gave an illustration so that we could know what 10 to the 17th power means. He says that many silver dollars. So if you take a silver dollar, that many silver dollars would be enough to cover the face of the entire state of Texas two feet deep. He writes, who in his right mind would suppose that a blindfolded man heading out of Dallas by foot in any direction would be able on his first attempt to pick up one specifically marked silver dollar out of 10 to the 17th power? And yes, the, profibil- the probability of one man meeting all the criteria of just eight of the Old Testament prophecies. When you think about the Old Testament predicted the place, it predicted the life of Jesus, but you know it also predicted the death of Jesus. Listen to the prophecy of Isaiah. I, I don't know how Jews who are, uh, do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, I don't know how they read Isaiah 53 and live with themselves because it reads like a gospel description of the crucifixion. There's so much specific detail. Listen to what it says. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. There's Joseph of Arimathea. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of God to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the will of God shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, He shall see and be satisfied. By the knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah described the early life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the rejection of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. Do you know that in the Old Testament, 800 years before the Romans had invented crucifixion, it talks about that Jesus would be pierced, pierced. When you read the Old Testament prophecies 
and see how all of them line up with Jesus, then you know for certain that Jesus must be the Messiah. And so when you and I have come to understand this, we can't help but live different. How can we know that he's the Messiah and not follow him with all of our life and with all of our heart? There's a last thing that Peter reminds us of. It's the inspiration of Scripture. Look at verse 20. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter says that all the prophecy of the Old Testament is by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's how we can trust it and believe in it. And when we look at Christ and see how it lines up with his life, we know that he really is the Messiah. And so how do we know that he's coming again? Well, we know because he's already been here. And he came according to the Old Testament prophecy. And if all that prophecy was fulfilled, then it gives us faith and hope that all the remaining prophecy will be fulfilled. And so in the Bible, in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, Paul writes to the young pastor, Timothy, and here's what he says about the inspiration of Scripture. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Well, how do we know what's true? If it's in the Bible, it's true. And if it's in the Bible, it didn't come about by someone's own interpretation. When I was in school and I went to a lot of different schools, I kind of ran the gamut, got all these different perspectives. One school I went to is extremely liberal. And uh, one of their favorite sayings about the Bible, they believe that much of the New Testament was corrupted by the viewpoint of the human writers. They thought that basically anything that they disagreed with in the New Testament, it was just there because the people who wrote it couldn't see past their own time. It was their human weakness and not revelation from God. Well, that's not what the Bible says about itself. What did Peter teach us? He said that, that no prophecy came about by someone's interpretation, but men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what does Paul say? He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. And so if you want to know what's true, if it's in the Bible, it's true. You see, Peter, he saw firsthand Jesus transfigured, and he saw him in his glory. And because he'd seen him in his glory once, he had all the confidence in the world that he would one day see him in his glory again as he came back to earth. And as Peter looked at the Old Testament prophecies and he knew what they were and he saw that they all lined up with the life of Jesus. He knew that those prophecies were not there by the interpretation of man, but they were there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that he could recognize their fulfillment in Jesus and know that he was the Christ. See, what this means for us today is that if you have a problem, we have a solution, and his name is Jesus. We can believe in him, and we can trust in him. And many people today claim that they believe in him, 
boy, it's hard to figure out what that means for their life. And you and I, we, we have a truth that's worth living. Everything that we do ought to be impacted by this truth of who Jesus is. You see, if we're going to follow him, we're going to live for him, then we need to live a different, changed life. Because one of the truths that we see in Scripture is that God's desire is not just that prophecy be like a light shining in the darkness. But God's desire is that you and I be like a light shining in the darkness. That other people might seek to know this truth because of what they see in our life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the faithful apostles who saw and believed and followed. And Lord, I pray today that you'd help us to hear and believe and follow. May we live for your son, for his glory, and to advance his kingdom. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You know that passage that we read from Isaiah, Isaiah told us about that he bore the sins. Here's what this means. You see, you and I, every single one of us have sinned in one way or another. The, the specifics, they, they really don't matter. Our ultimate condition is the same. We've all sinned against God. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took upon himself the penalty of our sin so that you and I could be forgiven and could go free. Now, the amazing thing is that because of his grace, he offers this as a free gift. If we'll believe it and receive it, we can be forgiven and we can be changed. And you see, the reality is you may not understand this, but God wants more for you than you want for yourself. He loves you. He wants to change your life. He wants to give you hope, purpose, and a future. If you'll just believe and trust and follow him. That's the truth that has changed the lives of millions of people. And today, if you'll believe it and embrace it, that truth is worth living even still today. So I want to encourage you today. If there's something in your life that doesn't line up with following Jesus, would you just make a decision today to change that? Maybe you're here today and you're a believer, but there's things that you do at work, there's things that you do at home, that if your children saw it, your coworkers saw it, they would wonder why they need to go to church and consider your faith. If that's you, you need to repent of that and change. Because God wants to use you to be a light in the darkness. He wants to use you to be an agent of change to help make other people like his son. Maybe you're here today and, and you've been trying to save yourself. You know, the Bible says that our, our good works can't outweigh our bad works. It doesn't work that way. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to pay for your sin. But when you're ready to stop trying to do that and just accept the grace of God, he's ready to forgive you and cleanse you and give you a new life. So, friend, whatever decision that you need to make, whether it's trusting Jesus for the first time or, or whether it's changing something in your life where you've gotten off path, right now as we sing this song, it's the time to make that decision. You can come at the altar and kneel and somebody will come and pray with you. You can pray in your seat. 
or you can meet me at the front and I'll be glad to pray with you. But whatever you need to do, let's do it right now as we sing. Let's stand together.